As, uh, as Rennie alluded to, we are continuing with a study in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. While you're turning there, just as a bit of a recap, because uh, this weekend passed, we were blessed to have the Easter conference. And so we, we paused, if you will, our study in Matthew. But if you remember a couple weeks back, uh, Mike was sharing with us. And then prior to that, Brian, it's kind of been a, a four-part series through Matthew 24, 25, and 26, looking ahead to things future. Um, if you remember back three weeks ago, I know that that's going pretty far out there. Uh, Brian walked us through uh, Matthew 24, and the disciples, as they were with the Lord, were looking ahead to the time in which the Lord Jesus himself would return to establish his kingdom. And then Mike, two weeks ago, uh, if I could summarize it, I think Mike would agree, well, the whole point of the message was, are we ready? Uh, ready for that time, ready in which uh, the Lord would return. Now, the parables today before us, we have two of them before us in Matthew 25 that we're going to consider together, uh, of a similar mind. The Lord Jesus starts saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like, and then he will share an example that they could relate to. Now, parables, the, the whole concept of a parable may not be new to us, but it, it's the idea of a story that is easily relatable, um, but means far more than simply the words that were shared. We're, we're going to read about a wedding. We're going to read about some business transactions this morning, but these are, are mere images for something far more important, far more powerful and effective in our lives. And the burden is on me and the Lord, hopefully speaking through me, to make these things relatable to our lives even here this morning. So with that, let's read in Matthew 25. We're going to read the first 13 verses to consider again another aspect of what it will be like when the Lord Jesus returns to set up his kingdom on earth. Matthew 25 and verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten bridesmaids, or ten virgins, <clears throat> which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, but took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then those bridesmaids arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. The wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and for you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards there came also the other bridesmaids, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour where the Son of Man comes. So we will have a second parable. That's the first. We'll, we'll pause there. I, I think heard years ago the most important aspect of studying a parable, you break it up into two parts. What does it say and what does it mean? So we're going to spend a few minutes making sure we understand what it says, 
Because if we don't understand what it's saying, we, can, we can't even have a hope of understanding what the Lord was trying to get across to us. And some of it is a bit culturally specific. Um, you might be married here today. Uh, perhaps as you read of this marriage, you say, well, my marriage wasn't quite like that. But from what I understand and what I read in the Jewish custom, a marriage here, this is kind of what it was describing. The, the marriage would have started out, the groom in his home with some of his friends would make his way over to the parents of the bride. He was on his way over, and that's where ceremony and some things would take place. Afterwards, late in the night, the whole procession would leave from the bride's parents' home to head back now to his home for the feast and for all of these things to continue. It was on that return trip, late at night, that the bridesmaids and all the others who were, were with them would, would join and there'd be a procession through the streets celebrating the newly married couple. Uh, late at night, hence the need for lamps. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, what is a lamp? I don't want to assume anything here today. This is not a, a lamp that we would uh, maybe pull out our phone or a lamp you might have on your coffee table at home. The idea would be a small vessel maybe some of you even still use. We had a power outage there a week or two ago. I remember growing up, we had a coal oil lamp and it would be like so, a jar filled with some consumable fuel, in this case oil, meaning, again, not, not petroleum or crude or anything like that, probably olive oil. Um, but as I mentioned, me growing up, we had a coal oil lamp. Point is, it was there, there'd be a wick, you could light it, and it would burn for some time, providing light in the night. This being late at night, they, they needed lamps and oil to make their way back. So those are kind of some of the bits and pieces of it. That's why they're there. Uh, we were introduced, though, in this parable to these ten bridesmaids, five of whom were declared wise and five of whom were declared foolish. The only difference being they all had lamps, but the scriptures say those that were foolish forgot to bring or, or just chose not to bring oil for the lamps. Now, it, it, it brings up the question, what on earth would you want such a, an instrument, a lamp, that had no fuel with it. If you think about it, it doesn't make much sense, does it? We're left to assume, though, that either they just didn't anticipate needing the lamp, or that they were just leaving it to a future day. Maybe you can relate to that. You see, I'll, I'll figure it out later. At least I got the lamp, and we'll, we'll figure it out kind of on the fly. Some of us kind of operate like that, I'd say, on a daily basis. And, then, and there's there's benefits to that and that you're very flexible, but sometimes you get caught in a situation like this and it's, it's not so good. So the scriptures, uh, not I, pass judgment that they were foolish. Now, central to this entire parable is the oil. What is this oil? Because it seems important. If you were wise, you had oil. If you were foolish, you didn't have oil. Now, uh, Rennie mentioned that the oil reminds us of the Holy Spirit of God. And I believe that to be so, but it doesn't explicitly say that in this parable. You know, it's funny, and I started to look into it a little bit, doing a bit of research. You could find a source would say, well, yes, oil represents Holy Spirit. See example in Matthew 25. I'm like, well, it doesn't kind of work that way, because I'm trying to figure out what the oil is in Matthew 25. You can't use that as the proof for it being the Holy Spirit. So some, some reasonings I don't think are very good. However, if you look at Scripture as a whole, Start to finish. One of the first examples you read about oil in the Old Testament was Moses in Exodus 29, anointing his brother Aaron with oil to be the high priest. So the oil, the anointing with oil, was associated with God and, and a holy role, being the high priest. And then perhaps the best known one, 1 Samuel 16, 13, let me read you this. Uh, speaking of Samuel, it says, 
Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. This is when David was selected by God to be king. There was a ceremony, Samuel, oil poured it on him, and the oil was associated with God's Holy Spirit coming upon him and, and carrying him into God's presence. And there's other reasons too, like oil is fragrant, it, it flows. We can see how there's similarities to the person of the Holy Spirit and how he might work in our life. So I, I definitely do agree, oil here is closely, if not exactly, representing the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, why do we even care? Well, that, that's going to become the central part of this parable as we continue on. Now, uh, notice, like I said, all 10 of these bridesmaids were excited for the wedding. Obviously, they were interested, they were there, and so on. This, this is not about, though, the church. Brian brought that out, like I said, three weeks ago. I know that's a long time ago, very, very closely. But the wedding and so on, and the church meaning those who have decided to follow Jesus Christ with their lives, there will be a marriage one day to the Lamb of God, to, to Jesus himself. But notice the focus here was not on the bride, but on the bridesmaids. Interesting. So those who would be alive when uh, Jesus comes to set up his kingdom after the tribulation. Um, then the, the next thing I want us to notice in verse 5 while the bridegroom, it says, tarried, so remember, he has passed, he is now essentially getting married to his bride at the home of uh, the bride's parents. It says, while he tarried, they all slumbered and slept. So this parable, it doesn't mean, uh, or it doesn't suggest that it's a negative thing to fall asleep. If you could put yourself into the position of the bridesmaids, they knew roughly when the groom would be coming, but they didn't know exactly. And that's exactly the state in which the disciples would find themselves too, because the signs of Matthew 24 were very clear. The Lord says, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen leading up to my coming. You'll know roughly when the Lord is going to come back, but none of us know exactly when. All 10 of them fell asleep. So we're not condemned for falling asleep in the meantime, but notice the difference is, Five of them fell asleep ready. They had oil. They were ready to go. It, it wasn't so much negative that they fell asleep, but they knew that once that call came, they woke up, they had everything they needed. They were ready to go, and the call did come at midnight, verse 6. At midnight, the cry was made. As we go down to verse 9, let's, deal, let's confront this oil business again. So it says, the wise, so verse 8 rather, the foolish said to the wise, give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise said, no. Interesting. You know, I try to preach to my kids that sharing is? Thank you. We all know that one very, very well. You've got to involve the audience, they always say. So there you go. Thank you for your participation. Sharing is caring. It's important. I tell my kids all the time. One toy, you've got to share this and the whole thing, and, and you can imagine how well that works sometimes. Um, but it, it would seem, wouldn't it, in this verse here, like, you've got lots of oil. I've got none can you spare a little bit of oil for me? And, and they say, no, no. But, but they don't stop there. They give them some advice. He says, no, you go to the one who's selling it. And that was very good advice because if we come back to the oil representing the Holy Spirit, none of us in this room can give Holy Spirit to another. In Christianity Explored, that was mentioned in the introduction a few weeks ago, we were uh, studying in the, in the book of Acts. 
when uh, new people were getting saved or introduced to this uh, kind of interesting man named Simon. And he was a sorcerer, and, and it would suggest that I believe he came to submit his life to Jesus Christ. And then he saw the Holy Spirit was coming upon people's lives. He wanted the ability with his hands to be able to give the Holy Spirit. And Peter made it very clear, you, you can't do that. It's not just for anyone to give out the Holy Spirit. you got to go to the person, if I could use the phrase here, used here, go to the one who is selling. Romans 8, verse 9 is, is kind of a chilling verse. It says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not the Lord's. The Lord doesn't know you. And so, okay, well then how do we get it? I think the, the clearest way, I'm going to read it probably several times this morning, Ephesians 1 says this, Ephesians 1, 13. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is your inheritance to the future day. Again, three steps. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed it was so, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The New Testament makes it exceptionally clear. The way that we get the oil, the way that the Holy Spirit enters our life, is that we have to do business with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And it is simply this, every one of us have sinned and fallen short miserably. If you could look into the depths of my heart, it would be a shame that I'm even standing here today. The sin that is within each one of us, we get good at polishing it, covering it up and so on, but I, I confess freely that I am a deeply flawed, sinful man. However, I am forgiven. Not because of anything that I have done, but because I've come to understand that God loved me so much, knowing that I could not overcome the penalty due for my sin, he sent his own son to become a man to die in my place. Why do you have to die? You see, the wages of sin, what I get for my sin is death. Someone has to die. It's either me or a substitute. And God made a substitute, and he says, you too can be forgiven, that Jesus Christ paid for your sins too. Well, how do we possibly get that? He says, I want you to believe me. To believe me. Like, it, it seems so shallow, like, to believe me. Well, it, it's, it's more than just belief in that you say, I believe in unicorns or, or dinosaurs floating out in the Rideau River or something like that. Like, it's not nonsense. It's a belief in the sense that you change the course of your life. You say, I believe this is so. I'm taking steps to follow now who Jesus Christ is and what he is. I want him in my life. It's, as I've shared many times, the children example of the magician Blondo. You remember, he, had, he was the one who had the tightrope act across Niagara Falls. And so it was there, he would walk and he was even able to walk across pushing a wheelbarrow, if you can imagine, gets to the other side to tremendous applause of the crowd. And he turns to someone and says, now do you believe that I can get back to the other side, pushing said wheelbarrow? Of course, absolutely, I just saw you do it. Okay, well then how about you hop in? Do you think they hopped in? Well, there's a difference between believing and believing. But that's exactly what we're getting at. It's belief that you're willing to put some weight on it. Do you stand up today and say, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is my salvation and way to heaven. I stake my life on him. If he fails, I go down with him. That's faith. So that's what he's talking about here. He says, when you hear the word, when you understand the gospel, when you choose to believe that he is your savior, you are saved. 
you're forgiven, and furthermore, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the one who can give you the Holy Spirit. That's the one who you got to go and do business with. But you got to do business with him before the door is shut. Let's continue. So verse 9, they were told, the wise said, no, I can't give you oil. I can't give you Holy Spirit. You go and do business with the one who can. Okay, they do. Verse 10, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went into the marriage, and the door was shut. The five foolish are not in. Afterwards, they came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. That's not his name. I thought he was the groom. Notice the change here, the desperation. There's no time for pleasantries and so on. They, they, it makes it very clear who they're talking to. This is the Lord Jesus himself that they're referring to. And they picture the scene outside a door. A marriage is taking place, obviously very important to the groom himself. And so verse 12, he answered the door. Imagine the state of mind that he is in. This whole ceremony has been interrupted so that he can come out and deal with these five who are knocking profusely at the door, screaming, Lord, Lord, what was his response? He says, verse 12, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't even know you. Don't even know you. Wow. That's chilling. Because here was, like I said, 10. They were there for the party. They saw it. Like, it turns out they didn't even know the groom. Now, the lesson for us, what I've been hoping to build up to for us today, if I could simply say and borrow from Mike two weeks ago, the lesson of this parable again is, are you ready? You see, the fact that you're here today means in some ways you're a bit like one of those bridesmaids. You're interested in the wedding. You're interested in the groom. That's great that you're here. You might even be here today with Psalm 119. Lord says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. You might even be here today with your lamp. But you know, being here today, being here with a lamp today, God's word is not enough to be ready and invited into the feast. Do you have oil? Well, how do we get oil? We need the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we get the Holy Spirit? We come back, we are confronted. There is no way around it. There is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we trust him, Holy Spirit comes to live inside our lives. We have oil. In a very dark world, our, light, our life begins to shine as a light. The Holy Spirit starts to chip away at all those sinful, ugly aspects of my character. And I am far from perfect. But I'm closer to that today than I ever was because the Holy Spirit is improving my life as we submit to him. So the lesson of this parable is it's not just about being there, being part of the party, the excitement. Even if you had a lamp with you, you need oil. And the way you get oil is you do business with God through his son, Jesus Christ. There will be a day when the door is shut. Now, for us, it may not be a literal door. For like how many of us, life is short. We don't even know what's going to come the rest of the day, do we? We want to be ready. Even if you fall asleep, that's okay if you're ready when that time comes. And to be ready means you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ. Okay, next parable. So that was, we call the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. He says, what's the kingdom going to be like? Well, the kingdom's going to be like the time when he suddenly comes and you better be ready. Am I ready? It's a lesson from parable number one. Parable number two, let's read it. Matthew 25 and we'll pick up now from verse 14. Four. 
the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to everyone according to their ability, and immediately he went on his journey. He who had received five talents went and traded with the same and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two, he also gained another two. But he who had received one went and dug it in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and reckoned with them. And he said, so he who had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five more. His Lord said to him, well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you now ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said, I'll paraphrase here, the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know you are a very hard man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't strawed. And I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent in the earth. And lo, here is what is yours. His Lord answered and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I haven't sowed and I gather where I haven't strawed. You ought us therefore to have put my money to the exchangers so that at my coming, I could have received my own with interest. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him who has 10. For everyone who has shall be given and he that has abundance, but from him and have not shall be taken away even that what he has. And you cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So immediately you'll see there's some differences between these two parables, but there are some similarities in that in both cases, the end is not pleasant. And the end is not pleasant because of decisions that were made along the way. So let's apply our lesson once again. What does it say before we decide what does it mean? Well, what does it say? It's telling us about a man who was quite wealthy and he was going off to a far country and he left some servants behind. He blessed them with material wealth. Um, some were given more, some were given less. That was up to the, to, to the master. When he came back, he reckoned with them. If the lesson from the first parable was, am I ready? The lesson from the second parable is, am I making gain? Because the expectation of the master here was in all cases, that what he had blessed his servants with, that they were using it to turn into something more for the master and for his kingdom. 
Someone likened it to this. I don't know if uh, any of you follow football or anything like that, but just imagine a college football team uh, out in the summer months where you look out on a field and there we have hundreds of people practicing, trying their best to get noticed by the coaches because they want to make the team. They are working terribly hard. Some of them will eventually make the team and their reward in that case is they get to work harder because now the season's on. And so when I put it that way, it sounds kind of silly, but it was because of joy for what they were doing. Like, yes, this is working hard. I want to work harder because I'm excited about the prospect of being on the team. This parable kind of is, is a bit like that. It, it takes the entirety of our life and says it's just like that football practice. It's just a trial run. Everything we do in this world, everything that I spend so much time on, I feel is so important and vitally critical that I'm working on. It's all a trial run. God's saying everything in this world right now is a trial because the future eternity is what's real. And if we're faithful in the simple things that God has given to us now, we can't even imagine the things that he will put us in charge of in the future. You notice this individual, he says, you've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. The reward for the person who did well in their work was more work. That shouldn't be a foreign principle to us. You know, the same thing happens in offices and workplaces all over. The people who are diligent tend to get asked to do more and more, and the people that aren't tend to not. So that's the parable. Now, some of you might be thinking, isn't there another parable that's kind of like this? And I'm, I'm glad you're thinking that. Maybe no one's thinking that, but hopefully at least someone. Someone can humor me. Because there is one like it in Luke chapter 19. I want to go look at it for a second because there are similarities but there's actually some important differences that will help us understand a bit more what this one means. So in Luke 19, you're welcome to flip over, or if you just want to listen, that's fine too. Luke 19, it's still the Lord Jesus speaking. In verse 11, those who heard this parable, he added and spoke a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God was going to immediately appear. Luke 19, verse 12. He says, a certain man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. He called 10 servants. He delivered to them 10 pounds and said to them, occupy until I come. His citizens hated him and said, we don't want this man to reign over us. Anyway, verse 15, it came to pass when he returned, he commanded his servants to be called and everyone had gained by trading. Then verse 16, then came the first saying, your pound has gained 10 pounds. He said, well done, you good and faithful servant. Verse 18, the second came, your pound has gained five pounds. He said, well done. Said likewise to him, be ruler over five cities. Verse 20, another came saying, Lord, here is your pound. I kept it laid up in a napkin. I feared you. I was afraid. You're an austere man. You take up where you haven't laid down. You reap where you don't sow. He said, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. Verse 23, why didn't you give my money to the bank that when I came back, I could have at least had interest. Verse 24, he said to them, take him from the pound, give it to the other who has 10. I say to you, everyone that hath shall be given, and everyone who hath not, verse 26, even then shall be taken away. So perhaps you can see how there are some similarities. There was a rich man, he's leaving, he's leaving goods behind. Some did well, at least one person didn't. He was judged very harshly. However, you're flipping back now to Matthew 25, that's where we're going to be for the rest of it. There are some really important differences. Uh, one of them is the audience. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it in Luke 19, but it was actually a large crowd. Some who were very interested in following Jesus, some who couldn't care less. 
large crowd. Audience here in Matthew 25, remember, is his own disciples. So, different message. Um, one other big difference, though, in Luke 19, everyone was given the exact same amount. Everyone was given one pound. And when he returned, some people had made 10, and some people had made five, and presumably other amounts, and some people just hid it in a napkin and did nothing with it. But the lesson there was everyone given the same amount, and differing amount of diligence brought reward. You, you applied yourself differently. You all had exactly the same thing given to you. Some made more, some made less. We understand that, right? Now, I think in the world, from a worldly perspective, if we think from that mindset, that's kind of what we want sometimes. We want a fair shake. I want to have the same opportunity as you, and may the, may the person who works hardest win out. In this parable in Matthew 25, it's actually a bit the opposite. Remember, Luke 19, they're all given the same, and some people made more, some people made less. Here, they weren't all given the same. Some were given five, some were given two, some were given one to start with. What was the same, though, was on the reward side, not so much that you made as much, but it was proportional to the amount you were given. The one who was given five was rewarded because he gained another five. The one who was given two got the exact same reward. He only gained another two, but he did what he had, and it was exactly what the Lord expected. Now, maybe you're, you're dying to think, like, well, why didn't he just give them all the same? Why didn't he give them all five? Why didn't he give them all one? Why does some get five, some get two? That's not fair. Well, he told us why. In verse 15, Matthew 25, said, Unto one he gave five, to another he gave two, to another he gave one, to everyone according to their ability. You could still say, well, that's not fair. You know, the Lord's the master and he knows who can handle what. I don't know if you ever thought, like, I wish I had, I don't know, a gazillion dollars. I wish I had more. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. Do you ever stop and think that maybe the Lord knows you don't have that because you could not handle that very well? Forgive another sports analogy. I know my wife hates football, but I, I go back to this. One, the team I follow used to have a quarterback named Derek Carr, and he's a, a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. And I remember when he signed a contract for, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars one time, he was at a press conference and someone asked him, like, what are you going to do with all this money? And he said something to the effect that, well, I'd like to bless a lot of people. And, and they couldn't leave it at that. They said, well, what do you mean? Could you expand on that? He said, I am going to spend, I'm going to help a lot of people in a lot of places, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you never hear about it. <laughs> I loved hearing that, and it's just taking it back to the passage here, there was a man, obviously I don't know him personally, and the Lord knows these things, but it would seem that he was blessed tremendously in a way that probably no one in the room has ever been, and he seemed to have his head screwed on the right way, and he knew what to do with it. If the Lord gave that to me, who knows? It might be my downfall. So the Lord knows, the Master knows who can handle what. And so perhaps you look around the room, and I don't know where you feel you are in this. Do you, are you the one with the five talents or the two talents or the one talent? But one lesson we take away, we're not to be looking at each other's talents. It's none of our business. The Lord knows what we have and what we can handle. And you say, well, that's not fair. He's got five and I've got one. No. That's a worldly mindset. The Lord, as he looked at this, it was expectations were adjusted accordingly. Our, our third buddy here, if he would have gained only one talent, I am certain he would have received the exact same reward. 
It wasn't reward according to gain and the world standards. This was the Lord's standards himself. Now, we haven't really talked about what are these talents? You know, I love the fact that it's not actually defined in the, the narrative because it allows us to fill in any number of things. It could be spiritual gifts. We read in Ephesians 4, when the Lord ascended up on high, he gave gifts. And you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, when God saves you, the Holy Spirit enters your life, as we talked about in the first parable, he gives us spiritual gifts. Uh, it's an enablement in a special way to serve in a capacity. It's love and service and speaking and, and all these other ones that we could talk about that God has equipped you to serve in a special way that I may not have. And we all benefit each other. That's why the God has given them out. You say, well, why don't I have this gift or that gift? I come back to verse 15. The Lord knows what he's doing. But I do know this. I need your gifts and you need my gifts. We all need each other's gifts and that's how the church prospers. Now it could be gifts. It could be talents, like physical talents. It could be wealth. It could be money. It could be all these things. That's the beauty of it not being filled in. But I'll tell you this, there is one really important lesson for us. Let's go to verse 20. When reckoning came, notice the first individual that was interviewed. He says, verse 20, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. The person knew what he had. And so I ask you, this is where we get a bit introspective, to think for yourself, what are the talents that you have that you can use to further the cause of the kingdom? Could be spiritual gifts, it could be abilities, it could be money, it could be your home, it could be your car, it could be all these things. You can fill in the blank. If we don't even know what we have, if we've never thought about what we have to bless others and to bring on the furtherance of the kingdom, how are we possibly using those things to the maximum benefit to achieve the gain that the Lord expects? Each of these people, when reckoning day came, say, Lord, you gave me five. The next person knew he was only given two. He knew he didn't have the means of the first person. He wasn't jealous about it. He just, he went diligently and he used what he had. You may have much, and I would say speaking to an audience today in a, in a culture in which we're in the top whatever percentage of the world, I think we all have much. We're probably all five talent people today on the scheme of the world. But even relative to each other, the point is we have different amounts we don't fuss over that. We use what we have, but we got to know what he have, and he did. The master's focus was not on quantity, but rather diligence for what you had. Notice the reply. I want to spend just a minute on that. Verse 21, the Lord said to him, well done. Some of you knew my dad, probably not too many of you. He was, uh, he passed away last year, but he was meticulous for yard work. Cutting grass, trimming the lawn, flower beds, like there was no weeds, there was nothing. He dedicated a significant part of his life to that, and it was, it was a big deal to him. I remember as a teenager, one of the first times I got to cut the grass. And our yard was big enough, like it took an hour, two hours to, to cut it with a riding lawnmower and a trimmer and stuff. And we have a, a gazebo in the middle with a swing where you can see a lot of the property. And he sat on that swing the entire time, said nothing. You get to the end, clean up the machine, I put it back. He walks over and he says, you did a good job. That's all he said. He was not one for, for many words or, or praise or anything like that. But here I am 20 years so on later, I still remember that. Simple words from the right person mean a lot. Now, can you imagine the Lord Jesus coming to you someday and say, you know what? Everything you had down there, he did well. You served me well. I can't even imagine. 
what that would be like, the praise of that. Like, he, he didn't have to uh, give him a big, a big illustrious speech just to know the praise of the master. And then the second individual got the exact same thing. That is a very, very powerful thing to think that the Lord who did so much for us would tell us, yeah, you, you did a good job. You did well. Wow. But it wasn't the case. Let's, uh, let's go to our buddy in, uh, in verse 24. He who had received the one talent you notice he came, he changed the narrative a bit. He led with criticism, which is kind of an interesting strategy. He says, you're a hard man, you're unfair, unreasonable, and therefore I acted accordingly. It's just really interesting because it doesn't strike me as someone who loved the master. Like someone you love that you would lead with that. Well, you're this, you're that, you're that, and therefore I'm okay. I'm, my actions are excused because of all these unreasonable things about you. We all have sins and pitfalls, don't get me wrong. But we tend not to lead with those for people that we love, I think. So I think it tells us something a little bit about the love for the master here. So he says this and that, and therefore, verse 25, and this is, this is very chilling. He says, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the earth. You say, well, he buried it. No, I think there's a deeper meaning for us here. You see, the talents, the things that the Lord Jesus has blessed us with, the gifts, abilities, money, car, house, whatever you have at your disposal, we can use them to serve the Lord and the purposes of his kingdom, or we can bury them in the earth. Earthly goals, earthly possessions, earthly this, earthly that, earth, 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 earth. And you can have a great life, you can have all those things, but at the end of the day, it's lost in the earth, it's gone. Zero gain for the kingdom. And again, I say this not to throw stones in the platform, this is meant to be introspective to me too. What do I have of the talents that I have blessed that have been buried in the earth, they're gone? You say, well, he brought them back, right? Well, I, uh, some of you know, I really, really enjoy the words of the uh, 19th century Scottish expositor Alexander McLaren. Just has a way with words. And he said this about this passage. He said, talents hidden are not, when dug up, as heavy as they were when they are buried. They rust. They tarnish. You take that precious whatever, you bury it, you bring it back later. Yeah, it's still there. Some of it's not. He went on to say, a life not devoted to God is never carried back to him unspoiled. You say, well, you made it in the end, right? Yeah, no, you, you lost some along the way. If we are putting it into the earth, we can't just pull it back out at the end. There's loss. There's net loss for the king. There's net loss for the master. It's meant to be a warning to us. What are we doing with the talents that he has blessed us with? The outcome of this individual He's called wicked, he's called lazy, and he's called unprofitable. It seems pretty clear to me that this man's not condemned because he didn't make gain. This man is condemned because he didn't know or love the master. And that actions in his life was a sign that he was a false follower. Both of these parables, we have signs of the false follower. We have unlit lamps and we have unused talents. And so this is where we get very, very real this morning, because like I said, we're all here, we're excited about the Lord and the wedding and, and maybe even have your lamp with you, and that's great. But you look at your life. Do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Is God, do you see signs of change in your life? Are you interested 
in pursuing the, the endeavors of, of God's kingdom and God's word and God's service? Are you involved or interested and so on? And maybe some of you think, boy, you know, I'm just not good at it. I'm, I'm not good at sharing my faith. I'm not good at serving. I, I love the Lord. I just, I want to do better, but I'm just not good at it. That is why I love that verse 27 is in this parable. Because the Lord gave him an out. He says, you could have at least brought my money to the exchangers, where it would have made some interest. And what he's talking about there, he says, if you are not able with the things that God has blessed you with to further his cause in the world, he says, you find someone who can. You take your money, your time, your abilities, and you support someone else who is doing the work. And you know what the really cool thing is? He makes it clear here in verse 27, that'll still go on your account. When you give to someone else, someone else, someone organization, or whatever it might be, the Lord knows every cent. The Lord knows every second that you have spent dedicated that, and he puts that on your account. That's where it comes back to the heart of it. So there's really no excuse for any of us. I can't do it, or I'm just not good at it, or whatever. Then you find someone who is. Read of you has missionary organizations and missionary individuals that are serving the Lord and God's purposes. And if you are unable to, you have talents. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you better be either furthering the cause yourself or supporting them. No gain was not acceptable to the Lord. That was one of the big lessons here. Am I making gain? It starts with, do we even know what our talents are? Maybe that's where we need to start today. If we know what they are, though, we employ them for the purposes of the kingdom. So we wrap up now two parables, the parable of the 10 bridesmaids and the parable of the talents. The first one, the lesson simply was this, are you ready? There will be a time when the door is shut. We need to make sure we are ready to meet the Lord. And doing that is, you can't, no one else in this room can help you. We can't give you oil. You have to go to the one who sells and the one who sells is the Lord Jesus himself. He would love to pour the Holy Spirit into your life today. And that simply means you've decided I'm on Jesus Christ's side. I want to follow him, submit my life to him. Lord, help me change my life. Once you have that, he says, now you're, you're part of the greatest family there is and, and there's work to be done, furthering his kingdom, furthering the purposes of God in the world. Some of us he's given five, some of us he's given two, some of us he's given one. You gotta figure out what you have because one day we will be held to account for what we have. If you are unable to make gain with what you have and say, I got all this, whatever, don't know how to serve the Lord with it, then you find a way to do so. That's what verse 27 is. You give it to the exchangers where someone else can make that gain for you. Because if we love the Lord, we want to see his kingdom grow and succeed. May God give us grace. These are parables written thousands of years ago. But I hope we are able to make them very personal for us today, that we would understand, are, are we ready? To meet the Lord, are we making gain with the talents that the Lord has blessed us with? Let's pray. Father God, your word is so deep, and yet in some aspects it's so simple. We are blessed here today to have your word in a language that we can understand. We, we sit here in a building unbothered by society. We have the freedom to do so. Surely we are without excuse. Every one of us today, Father, it would be my prayer that we are ready to meet the bridegroom when he comes. To do that, you've done all the work. 
the Lord Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so that I could be forgiven, so that God, through the Holy Spirit, could come to live in my life. Lord, give us grace to understand and ears to hear and hearts that are open. And for those who have made that decision and submitted to Jesus Christ with their life, you have blessed us with so many ways, Lord. Give us ideas. Show us how we serve you better to further your purpose here in the world. Put people on our hearts that we can support that are doing the work in various ways that perhaps we just simply cannot. Thank you, Lord, that you are so understanding of a master. We are without excuse. The burden is within us. This is, this is the trial run. Someday we will be in eternity with you. May we show we are faithful in a few things. Lord, give us grace to go from this place with your word tucked in our hearts. We pray these things in the name and for the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.